I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Yellow. It's Tuesday. It's already September 18th. Uh, We are well into the football year here on the Wong Takes. Already week three college football. Already week two NFL. Uh, And I'm super pumped uh, to keep getting into football. Sundays are great now, man. It used to be like on, on the weekend, you're kind of just, you're doing stuff. And I was telling a friend about this earlier. It's like, we got 36 weeks of the year to like be productive on on Sundays. And now 16 weeks. Let me just plop myself down in front of a couch, watch some football and not do anything. And honestly, at this point, you know, I do other stuff. I got robotics grind but at the same time man when i get home it's like insane football all day fantasy football gotta track my team i'm two and oh in one league feels pretty great not gonna lie um and actually my six team league i'm oh and two so whoops um but 10 team league i'm two and oh and that's the one i got money on so you know uh that's that that's a little more important right now but hey it's great time for fantasy football. Um, a lot of great uh, breakout stars. I had my deep cut, Taewon Taylor. Uh, the Tennessee Titans put up nine points last week, although I didn't start him, but maybe I should have. Um, but I'm really excited. Um, any waiver wire pickups this week? You got to be looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, maybe some kickers for those of you who are going to have to drop Greg Zerline like me uh, because, unfortunately, he got injured and he's a kicker. I don't know how that happens, but... Either way, um, I love talking fantasy football, so if you guys have anything, just send them to me, um, and I'll be sure to get to them. But uh, enough blabbing about my fantasy team, let's talk about real-life football, uh, at least on the field, and that means we're going to go into NFL Week 2. There's a lot of good games to get to, and a lot of great stories from those various games, so like last week, and I kind of I like this format. Um, I have selected uh, a bunch of games I'm going to talk about. So let's kick it off in the AFC with the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, The Steelers' defense is still really struggling. Uh, They gave up uh, 21 points against the Browns, and now they give up 42 points to this potent Chiefs offense. Pittsburgh is now 0-1-1 with the tie. And Kansas City is now 2-0. and oh. um, Pat Mahomes, after not starting all of last year, except for Week 17, where he had a pretty good game, and now finally getting the opportunity to start this year at the helm of the Chiefs, uh, had a great game against the Chargers Week 1, and now against the Steelers, has another phenomenal day, putting up 326 yards for three touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, and if you're interested in stats, his QBR was 97.3 and his passer rating is 154.8. That's about as great of a sustained day uh, as you can have. I mean, he came up pretty close to the maximum passer rating. I, I can't recall what it is right now, but I think it's somewhere around like 160 or something. So uh, he's had a great game and he's already thrown touchdown passes to seven different players, which if I recall correctly is already more than last year. Um, I mean, this guy's running a complete offense. Alex Smith last year was kind of the conservative choice. Like, he's going to 
you you know what to expect from him. Pat Mahomes is kind of the uh, kind of the um, not sure what you're going to get. And so far, results have been very positive. Uh, this game, he threw touchdowns to five different players. Uh, Travis Kelsey, who he finally was able to get involved in the passing game after having a very lackluster game week one, seven receptions, 109 yards. Um, and then Tyreek Hill uh, scored their final touchdown. Um, I believe it's Chris Conley scored a touchdown. Uh, Kareem Hunt um, and Demarcus Robinson. Uh, so he is really spreading the ball around. Also, Sammy Watkins, even though he didn't have a touchdown, had six receptions for 100 yards. Uh, so if Mahomes can develop a rapport with all of these guys, I mean, this is going to be a f- fun team to watch um, and also be a fun team to have on your fantasy team. Um, oh, also, another stat I forgot. Patrick Mahomes, most touchdowns in his first two weeks of an NFL season with 10. Uh, so Mahomes just keeps setting the bar for for this type of quarterback and we might see more guys that are going to have to be or that are going to be played with little uh, or less experience in college guys like Mitchell Trubisky who uh, beat the Seahawks last night um, guys like Josh Allen uh, guys that we're not quite sure about in college because maybe they didn't play for the upper echelon program Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech um, but they show the raw talent oh Carson Wentz too at North Dakota State um, so we're going to see a lot of these type of quarterbacks coming up, and I'm really excited to see. And he's another uh, guy who can work with his legs as well, um, and that just shows where the league is going. All right, the next game, the Buccaneers beat the Eagles 27-21. I mean, who would have seen this coming from the Buc- Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They're projected to finish, like, third or fourth in the division, um, and then they come out with a surprise win against the Saints week one. And now they come up against the the uh, reigning Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. I was kind of skeptical of Ryan Fitzpatrick because he's going up against a good defense that only gave up 12 points to uh, the Falcons in week one. And yet, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws for 402 yards, only six incompletions the entire game, uh, with four touchdowns and only one interception. I mean, he, Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of does this wherever he goes. I mean, the, at, at the Jets, uh, he took the starting job, and now coming over uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's done the exact same thing. I mean, he's a veteran. He knows he knows what he needs to do. Um, he's not coming in with any super high expectations that he has to live up to. Um, he's pretty much playing with nothing to lose, with house money. I mean, if he doesn't do well, uh, people are just going to say it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and this is a Buccaneers team that wasn't expected to do well. But now that he has... Um, he's got all the confidence in the world. Take a look. I haven't seen the video of him in a press conference. It's pretty hilarious wearing Deshaun Jackson's uh, snazzy clothing. Um, but this is going to be an interesting regular season for Tampa Bay because James Winston is coming back after a suspension pretty soon. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick puts up a similar game uh, in, in their next game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who just got torched by Mahomes, this is going to be an interesting decision um, because... I mean, Jameis Winston seems to have more upside, but you've had him for a few years now, and he hasn't really done much for you, and now you've got this hot hand in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I say if, if Fitzpatrick, even if Fitzpatrick doesn't put up the best performance against the, against, uh, the Steelers, this division is not the strongest division. He's going to have chances to shine. Um, and, and I would say that you give him a shot because, look, he's the hot hand, and he's one of this team over, it appears. They love him. Um, and so kind of let him ride the wave and really take advantage of this opportunity for himself. Uh, next, the Vikings tied the Packers 29-29. to 
This is the second week in a row with a tie. Uh, in, in week one, of course, the Steelers and the Browns finished 21-21. And now the Packers and the Vikings finished 29-29. to I mean, this was an interesting game. Uh, the last drive or so was curious because Clay Matthews got called for a roughing the passer on Kirk Cousins that I do not understand how it was roughing the passer. I mean, let me just dissect this play a little bit. Okay, so essentially Kirk Cousins throws the ball, and basically as he's throwing the ball, Clay Matthews wraps him up um, and takes him to the ground. And I, I look to see because I one call that's gone, I think, for the 49ers was a guy tackled him and then left off his feet um, a pretty substantial amount, enough that you would notice it on the replay, left up off his feet and drove his shoulder into the ground. But I didn't see any of that with Clay Matthews, so I'm not right, really sure what they were thinking with the roughing the passer. I mean, what defender, what defensive linemen and tacklers in general can do now is pretty severely limited. Um, but anyway, that extended the drive, um, and Kirk Cousins threw it to maybe like a one-foot window to Adam Thielen. Uh, for a touchdown, and then a beautiful fade route to Stephon Diggs to tie the or corner route to tie this game up. And then in overtime, really the story was struggles for with kicking. Uh, Mason Crosby had gone five for five before overtime uh, from the leg, and he missed one. Or I'm not sure if that was the end of fourth quarter or overtime, but he missed one, and that ended up uh, not giving the Packers the game. But hey, you can't really blame him for going five for six, especially considering what the rest of the league did. For Minnesota, Daniel Carlson, their kicker, went 0 for 3 uh, on the day, which, as you can see, since it was a tie, any one of those would have won the game, including, well, the two in overtime. Uh, let's see, the, miss, the missed field goals were from 48 yards and uh, 48 yards and 49 yards. So, I mean, these are makeable field goals. Um, it's just Daniel Carlson uh, wasn't able to convert. Uh, and, and Mike Zimmer, the coach of the Vikings, was surprisingly blunt. I mean, you don't normally see this. You don't normally see, like, pick up your guy or whatever. But he's like, um, they cut him for the former Cowboys kicker, Dan Bailey, uh, just yesterday, I believe. So, I mean, it, it's a doggy dog world. If you have one bad day, maybe he had a bad day in practice, too, and they didn't see much potential in him, and that's why they cut him. Uh, but, look, if you go for three in this league... Uh, you're going to be out of a job. And that's unfortunately what happened to Daniel Carlson um, and the Vikings and Packers end up with a tie. Um, and it probably feels like a loss for the Vikings a little bit just because, look, you had the opportunity and as simple as you just couldn't convert. All right, next game, we've got seven games here. So we're on game number four. Uh, the Saints beat the Browns 21-18. Um, it's crazy. How do you miss two extra points, honestly? And this was such a Brownsy loss, starting with missing two extra points by Zane Gonzalez. Um, the first one would have put them up 13-6, to and the second one would have given them the lead, 19-18. to um, But, unfortunately, Gonzalez missed two extra points. And I guess that's what the NFL uh, competition committee was trying to do a few years ago when they moved the extra point back, uh, like, what, 15 yards or so? Make this an interesting kick. I mean, you should still make it. Um, but make an interesting kick, and the Browns had the lead. It was twelve to six or twelve eighteen to no twelve to three, I believe. Sorry, um, and then the Saints come back, score two touchdowns. All of a sudden, it's eighteen twelve, um, and then the Browns. Tyrod Taylor throws a beautiful throw 
to Antonio Callaway, who only had three catches on the day, but he made his big catch count. Uh, and um, beautiful catch, too. Um, it wasn't an easy one. It was right on the edge of fingertips. We've seen plenty of players drop those type of throws. Um, but missed field goal. Will Lutz converts for the Saints, 21-18, and then Zane Gonzalez misses a field goal from 52 yards out that would have tied the game. I mean, look, this Browns team showed some promise. I mean, they hung in there with the Saints team that had scored 40 points in, in the previous week. So, look, this, this Browns defense is actually not bad, starting with Miles Garrett, of course. On the offensive end, they've got to get a run game going. I mean, Tyrod Taylor can do stuff uh, with his legs. Uh, he's clearly going to have a consistent, a relatively consistent uh, running game. But you've got to get guys like Carlos Hyde involved. Um, if you want to develop a complete offense that's to the point where you don't have to rely on your kicker. I mean, the Rams didn't have a kicker um, last game because uh, Greg Zerano was hurt, but like they dominated. Uh, so, I mean, the Browns, and they've got a talented bunch. I mean, they've also got Nick Chubb in the backfield. Uh, Carlos Hyde had 43 yards rushing, Nick Chubb had 14 yards rushing. And they've got talented wideouts. David Njoku's pretty big, Jarvis Landry uh, that they got as well. So, I mean, look. The Browns, team, the Browns are going to win eventually. I mean, they already will not go 0-16 with the tie they got in Week 1. Um, but they, they're they kind of on their way to rebuilding. Um, and I think uh, they're, they're going to win at least a couple of games this year. At least I hope they will. Also a game that I probably should have gotten to sooner. The Jags beat the Patriots 31-20. to Jaguars are for real, man. Uh, after getting to the AFC Championship game last year and losing to the Patriots... They come back, and they feel like they have something to prove. I mean, I feel like the Patriots might have been a little complacent coming in uh, just because they know that uh, this they're also just not as talented as the Jaguars at the moment. Um, the Jaguars, Blake Bortles had a phenomenal performance, 377 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Um, and even having Leonard Fournette out, having TJ Yeldon as your backup running back is not the worst thing in the world. Um, he's still a talented back. And then the wide receiving core is starting to fill out. Uh, Keelan Cole, who had probably maybe the catch of the year so far, a one-handed snag. Um, D.D. Westbrook, who was part, was part of a Big 12 offense in Oklahoma and clearly has some speed with a 61-yard touchdown. Um, Dante Moncrief, the old Colts wide receiver, is not totally out of the picture. So, I mean, look, this Jacksonville Jaguars team can compete. Uh, with the upper echelon, and they proved that by being the Patriots 31-20. The Patriots don't have much to worry about. I mean, I'm sure they know how to look themselves in the mirror um, and really and really uh, identify where the weak spots are. Um, but Jacksonville, with their strong defense headlined by Calais Campbell uh, and others, um, are going to be able to hold any team. And in the playoffs last year, we saw them do that, uh, beating the Bills, I think it was 6-3. to three. Um, and hanging in there with New England in the AFC Championship game. So I'm excited to watch this Jaguars team. They seem energized. Duval County is energized. Um, and I really like that place as a football town. All right, just a few more games. Broncos beat the Raiders 20-19. to uh, Another rough loss for John Gruden after losing to the Rams in Week 1. Um, they led the entire game uh, until the last play. But Case Keenum... Uh, who was the quarterback for the Vikings last year and got them to the NFC Championship game, continues to prove himself as a franchise quarterback or a franchise quarterback type. Um, he was resilient. He let a game-winning drive after not, after not leading all day is tough to do. 
um, and to end it with a field goal by Brandon McManus after uh, they couldn't convert a field goal all day. Uh, finally, just for the home crowd, 49ers beat the Lions 30-27. to I mean, just watching this game, there are clearly still a lot of issues with the 49ers. Their secondary um, is still weak. Akella Witherspoon had a pretty bad day, uh, having some misreads and giving up balls over the top. Um, and, the defense, and the defense really faltered at the end. Um, and Jimmy G is still not the godsend that everyone portrayed him to be. He's still returning to earth to some extent. Um, but the good thing for Jimmy G was, with, an exception of, with the exception of a pick that ended up getting called back, um, he didn't make any mistakes. Uh, he had no picks, and he had uh, two touchdowns, 18 for 26, 206 yards. So a pretty mediocre day. Um, but at the very least, he was able to keep this team in the game and just do enough that where you had guys like Matt Breida, who had a humongous run, a 66-yard touchdown run, uh, to pretty much seal the game, or at least it seems so at that point, um, is, is just what he needs to do. Um, and he'll get more familiar with this offense. This team is still really young, or still pretty inexperienced, because after going, you know, 1-15 and 15 and like 6-10 and 10 or whatever, um, this team is not used to having these expectations. And as they get more used to having these expectations, um, I, I think they'll get better. But they've got a humongous text, test next week. I don't expect them to win this game by any stretch, um, but almost a measuring stick to some point. If they can stay in it with the Chiefs uh, at 10 a.m. on Fox, uh, they'll they'll show that they really have a chance because they, after that, they've got the Chargers on the road, which is definitely a winnable game. Cardinals at home, definitely a winnable game. Then they've got the Packers on the road, Rams at home, so and the Cardinals uh, on the road. So, I mean, they've got some tough teams coming up, but they can really identify where they are with this upcoming Chiefs game. So that's our NFL uh, update from week two, and now we update college football in week three. Uh, a couple of couple of big games. Excuse that. Uh, number seven Auburn taking on number twelve LSU. This was probably the game of the weekend, not only because it's between two highly ranked teams, but being in the SEC, being at Jordan Air, which is an, I think I believe the eighth uh, largest stadium in the country, uh, with a crazy SEC crowd. Um, I was really excited to watch this one. And it was a grinded-out game. I mean, there weren't that many big plays. Um, it wasn't a huge offensive performance. Uh, but LSU quarterback Joe Burrow ended up being the star of the transfer from uh, Ohio State. He struggled throughout this game, but he was able to use his experience. He played well in the fourth, and that's what you need to do uh, when, you're, when you're playing at, at a top team in the SEC like this, where you know it's not going to be a shootout. There's not a bunch of pressure on you to score 60 points like there would be in, say, the Big 12. But there is a lot of pressure to, A, play in the clutch, and B, not make any mistakes. Because if you do, these defenses are going to pounce on you. Um, and this game, is it, it's not going to be close. Uh, so great play from Joe Burrow. Now, the game itself ended LSU 22, Auburn 21. Uh, it, was a, it was a thrilling finish. I wasn't able to watch the entire game, but I was able to watch the end. And just watching Cole Tracy, who was the kicker for LSU, have to step up a 42-yard field goal is no gimme, especially in college, um, with, the, with the crowd against you, knowing that if you make it, you win. If you miss it, you lose. Um, and just, it was a clutch kick, insanely clutch kick, directly up the middle. No, no uh, pressure, no suspense. It was just right down the middle, easy kick. Um, and it's kind of crazy how a season can change with one kick so quickly. That's one thing I love about college football. I mean, 
Every game counts, and every play counts because every game counts. If you take a look at Auburn, Auburn was on the verge of having two quality wins so far on their schedule, and in the non-conference, no less. If they came out with this win and beat Auburn and LSU uh, in, in the same season, in the non-conference, what, what that does is not only does it build their schedule, but more importantly, in my opinion, it leaves them with more wiggle room because they've got the SEC to play against, which means you've got to play, at the moment, four top 25 teams in Mississippi State, uh, Auburn, or uh, Texas A&M, who looks to only get better, Georgia and Alabama. So that's what Auburn was looking forward to, and yet Joe Burrow just stifled those chances. So they're going to pretty much have to win out uh, if they want to get in the playoff or have some people fall in front of them. LSU is quite the opposite. Now they've got a quality win, and they've built themselves some wiggle room for a brutal stretch where they have Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama in back-to-back-to-back weeks. Um, So, I mean... Now they can afford to lose one of those games and still have a shot at the national championship. And also, Ed Orgeron has done a great job with this program. Uh, coming back, coming out after Les Miles uh, was fired and having all these expectations lopped onto him, uh, to be able to do what he's done and get, these, get this team back into national prominence um, is pretty remarkable. And under the circumstances, under the pressure, now that they're the sixth-ranked team in the country, uh, this is this is a great job for LSU, and they've got a chance to kind of kind of up their resume a little bit, or to uh, up their ranking a little bit against Louisiana Tech, Ole Miss, and Florida, and hope some teams fall in front of them. Um, so this is going to be a fun LSU team. Grind it out, uh, just try to scrape by a win. Next, the game that I wasn't able to watch, but is still a referendum on both teams: number four Ohio State, number fifteen TCU. It was at Jerry World at AT&T Stadium in, in Arlington, which means it was probably the most one of the most important games of the weekend. Definitely, I think, the most hyped game of the weekend, uh, second to or near Auburn and LSU. And this game ended up being Ohio State 40, TCU 28. And for all the talk about this game, it wasn't very much different from usual. If you had asked uh, me or any other college football fan before the game, what do you expect? Uh, you would say, look, TCU has an explosive offense. They're going to get some big plays. Um, and that's what happened with a 93-yard touchdown run and a 50-yard touchdown pass. But at the end of the day, and it's been the case for years now, Ohio State is just straight up the better team uh, as far as on defense and also having an, a complete offense. Uh, for Ohio State, some good signs of moving forward. They came back after going down in the second half with three touchdowns in four minutes. Um, and the defense scored two defensive touchdowns against TCU, and that's what they need to compete against the tougher SEC teams. Uh, the younger Bosa, Joey Bosa's brother, forced a fumble um, and a pick six off of a shovel pass, which if well, you should watch the play because imagine how hard that is to do. It's a shovel pass. I mean, the quarterback gets it, takes a couple steps, tosses it in front of him. And to intercept that, you have to have incredible instincts, get a good jump, and, and be pretty fast and athletic. Um, and then also a block punt off of a bad snap, just pursuing the punter. Uh, it's good practice. Uh, so having those, those defensive plays in there is great for Ohio State. And now Urban Meyer comes back. So Ohio State has put themselves in a good position uh, to run through this division and run through this season as long as they can hold up uh, against their their fellow Big Ten opponents. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if they can survive uh, all of their matchups against teams like Penn State, who they've got 
in two weeks, and game we'll definitely be talking about. And then Michigan State and Michigan, who aren't probably as highly ranked as they would have been at the beginning of the year, but nonetheless, it's still a tough matchup uh, interconference. Other games, little things from the college football season. We're actually running pretty long on this episode, which I'm happy about. Uh, Florida State's downfall continues. They lost Syracuse 30-7. and They're now 1-2 and with their one win is a squeaker. It was a squeaker against an FCS team. Uh, Notre Dame escapes another tight one after barely beating Ball State. They barely beat Vanderbilt 22-17. to Every game is on NBC because they have a contract, and you get these crap games when you would rather have a different one. Um, and now Boise State loses. Uh, they lost to Oklahoma State uh, this week. And now there's really only one more group of five team that really has any reasonable shot to get into New Year's Six or, or even the playoff, and that's UCF once again. All right, some shout-outs this week. We're bringing the shout-outs back for a little bit. Uh, Canelo Alvarez first uh, won the won his second fight, the sequel to a very controversial draw uh, against Triple G Gennady Golovkin. He won by majority decision, one fifteen, one thirteen, one fifteen, one thirteen, one fourteen, one fourteen. Um, and this was also a controversial decision. Uh, many, pretty much every fight analyst had the fight to Golovkin, but everyone agreed it was a close fight. Steven, or Teddy Atlas went as far to say it was a robbery, uh, but a, a light one in that they didn't make it so flagrant like it seemed in the first fight with the 118, one, infamous 118-110 scorecard. Um, but I, I wasn't able to watch this fight because I don't buy pay-per-views, I'm sorry. Um, but I think Canelo GGG3 would be fun, um, and I'm down for it. And that's why I only ended up in shout-outs. Uh, shout-out number two to David Wright who will be retiring after this season and will get to play one last game in a Mets jersey uh, at the end of September uh, in their final series. You don't, you don't see too much humility in sports anymore, and David Wright played for over a decade within the same uniform. Um, injuries hurt him. He wasn't able to play much in the last couple of years or pretty much at all. Um, and you, know, you never heard him complain. You never heard of any chemistry or team issues. Uh, he's just a player that came out, did his job, and he'll definitely have a place uh, I believe, in Cooperstown. He's still one of the best players in Mets history. Uh, Shout-out number three to Tom Rinaldi, the ESPN reporter, who, in my opinion, even though he got a lot of criticism for it, had a great interview of, of Urban Meyer about the Zach Smith case that we've obviously talked about over the last month or so. Um, he, What I liked about the interview is that he didn't really come off as threatening, uh, even though he was asking these tough questions and Urban Meyer was stuttering. Um, and he kind of had a no-nonsense attitude. He was following up on questions, listening to Urban Meyer, pressing him uh, to make sure he caught him in another case where Urban Meyer, he asked Urban Meyer, what are you upset about? Something along those lines. And Urban Meyer said, I'm upset about the perception that blah, blah. And Tom Rinaldi pressed him on that. It's just, I would recommend watching that interview, uh, especially if you want to become a journalist. Um, he, did, he did a phenomenal job really getting to the heart of it. And to some extent, I mean, it was a mixed bag. I mean, both he made him look guiltier um, in that Urban Meyer was like ratting on his wife a little bit, um, and he said, "I didn't see. I hadn't. He hadn't seen pictures that would have made it about domestic violence." But um, he also portrayed him in some ways where he was a little bit empathetic to him, uh, or made him look a little more empathetic and let him speak his case a little bit. So I thought it was a great interview. Uh, your mileage may vary. Um, but I just thought he deserved uh, a shout-out here uh, on the Wong Takes. Quick take, Aaron Judge is uh, back in the Yankees lineup, courtesy of Bleacher Report, uh, and he will be playing tonight. 
He has been out for the Bronx Bombers since July 26th. Um, He's recovering uh, from an injury. The Yankees added some depth while he was gone in the form of Andrew McCutcheon. As I know, he was traded by uh, from the Giants to the New York Yankees uh, to play right field with Judge out. And now it appears that McCutcheon will be moving to left field um, where he play where he can play. Um, so, I mean, this is a great boost for the Yankees. I mean, they didn't really miss too many steps while he was gone. Um, and they're still going to get that wild card spot. Um, it's going to be about having to win that one game is really the biggest question because they have a lot of talent. Um, and they can really go up against any team, um, except for maybe Boston. They're going to have to pay attention to that Red Sox squad that's still um, on a on a record-breaking, possibly, pace. Um, and they've got two weeks left to kind of reintegrate Judge in the lineup, got him batting, in, batting second. If you look at the top of the Yankees lineup, it's still really good. McCutcheon, Judge, Gregorius, Stanton. Uh, so, I mean, this is a Yankees team that can compete for a World Series. Um, and they've got a little bit of time left until the playoffs. Maybe we'll do a little playoff special in the long takes uh, next week or in two weeks. Uh, as usual, I'm kind of going with the flow here. Thanks so much for listening to the long takes on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon or night or Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this. You know what to do. Check out the website bit.ly slash the long takes for full archives of the show. Also, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash thelongtakes. Email thelongtakes at gmail.com with fan questions. Leave voicemails by recording them on your phone. Send them to me. Check out the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. You can see all the links uh, on our website, bit.ly slash thelongtakes. Rate the podcast. That's how we get up the charts. Um, and subscribe. Uh, that's also how we get up the charts. Um, and I'm about to hit, up, hit 30 minutes. So thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next week.